that Jesus talks about uh, where, where we would find the blessing of God, that we are blessed. Some translations, if you can call them that, uh, 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 translate uh, these verses as happy are those who such and such. Uh, it's more than just being happy. I did notice that Martin Lloyd-Jones talks about uh, happy are the, uh, those who mourn uh, in uh, one of his sermons. But uh, really it's, it's deeper than that. Happiness might flow from the things we're talking about. You know, gladness, really, uh, of what God has done for us. But to be blessed is more than just feeling a bit jolly or a bit pleased or, or even glad. It's, it, it, it's talking about blessing which is being given to us, that comes from outside, being poured out uh, upon us. We're, this evening we're going to look at the first four of these uh, sayings. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, because they will be filled. Now, when you think about those sayings, you know, it's quite common uh, that you know, a whole series of sermons would be preached on these, you know, one after the other. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's, it can be you get a lot more detail than you'll get this evening just looking at four of them. God willing, next uh, week we'll look at the, 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 the rest of them. But these sayings of Jesus uh, start to uh, kick off the, the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, he goes on and talks about all manner of things affecting our Christian lives. Uh, I, I asked if we could read through to verse 16. We're not going to look at verses 13 to 16 at all in the next couple of weeks. Uh, but th there it's talking about the effect that we have on the world, upon society around us. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. And it's because of the lifestyle that, that, that comes from being a Christian, that follows from, uh, flows out of being blessed by God, of being saved by him, of being transformed bit by bit into the likeness of Christ. And really what this is talking about is a, a lifestyle that is that's a different lifestyle to the world around us. Not an alternative like that. You've people talk about alternative lifestyle, but that's not really what we're talking about here because that implies that other forms of lifestyles are okay. But this is the lifestyle that God designed for his people for the people he has made, which is the whole world when you think about it. He has made the world, made everybody in it. And he has uh, shown how a, a, the true godly lifestyle should be worked out in, in these ways. Because we live in a fallen world and the vast majority of people around us don't follow these things, don't follow this teaching. They don't know God. They turn their back on him. They reject him. And as we start to look at this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, we find the keys that unlock the doors to understanding the context of the, uh, the whole of that sermon. And indeed, you know, we, we look at these sayings, the blessed are the poor and, and so on. There is sense in the order of them. As uh, so you, you look down the, uh, the, the list, you'll see uh, all sorts of, uh, of different uh, things being uh, talked about here. But he hasn't just randomly gone, you know, picked odd things and just put them together in any old order. The first of these things, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, 
in a sense, unlocks the door to understand the ones that follow. As you look at these things, uh, you may think, well, I'm not quite sure I get this. You know, think of the one, blessed are, are the mourn, uh, those who mourn, for they will be comforted. How is being mourning, how, how is mourning something which is a blessing to us? Well, you, you see the fulfillment of it, and we'll come to that in, uh, in a minute. But to really understand uh, what these words mean, we have to think of the context, because when he talks about mourning, he's, we would normally use that word mourn to describe someone who's been bereaved, who is grieving over a relative or a friend who, who has died. But to the people that Jesus was originally speaking to, it had a different sort of depth of meaning. And if you go into the Old Testament and see how that word is used, it's rarely talking about uh, someone who has been bereaved, but rather it's talking about people's attitude to what is happening around them. Um, let me just turn to uh, Isaiah 61. And these are words that Jesus quoted you think of the, those blessings, you know, the, 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 the conditions that are going to be blessed, you know, those who mourn, those who are meek, those uh, who are uh, seeking righteousness. And listen to Isaiah 61. Jesus said when he read these out that these things were being fulfilled there and then. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because... The Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, of the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And just there, you've got a couple of references to, to, to mourning. But it's not about bereavement. It's about a people who, at the time when Isaiah was writing to them, uh, were facing exile. They're facing the judgment and punishment of God upon them. And they were taken into exile and then they were restored back uh, to, uh, to, to Jerusalem. And Isaiah is foretelling that coming back. And they had come back. But not all of those things that had been promised had yet been fulfilled. You know, they're physically back in the country, but uh, the, the, uh, they were still subject to foreign powers. In Jesus' day, it was the Romans that were ruling them and dominating them. And so there were people uh, in those days who were really grieved that the God's kingdom hadn't been restored as it apparently had been uh, promised and foretold. And they were longing to see the consolation and comfort of Israel. Um, Remember when Jesus was taken to, uh, the baby Jesus was taken to the temple to be dedicated and there, there were two people who, who met Mary and Joseph and Jesus when they went into the temple. Um, my mind has gone blank. I can't remember the name of the first one. Uh, yeah, Simeon. Uh, they, they came into the temple and Simeon, you can read about this in Luke chapter 2. Um, and we did, uh, 
This is how he is described. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And he was moved by the Spirit to go into the temple and he saw Jesus and he knew that this was the Messiah who had come. Now, that phrase, he was looking for the consolation, looking forward to the consolation of Israel. It's the same sort of group of words that implies comfort. He was looking for, for God to come and fulfill the rest of his promises. And likewise, there was an, a, a lady there uh, called Anna who was very old. And she recognized that this baby was the promised Messiah, and, sh and she gave thanks to God and spoke to everyone around her about it. Uh, th th there's a depth of, understand uh, of meaning of some of these words which goes beyond just what we might immediately think. Or, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. It's a quotation from Psalm 37, uh, where the words are slightly different. Uh, Psalm 37, I didn't write down the verse. Why do I not do these things properly? Um, hmm. I can't see it quickly, but uh, the, the, in Psalm 37, it's got... Uh, Psalm, <laughs> I'm reading Psalm 35, that's why I can't find it. Um, Eleven, thank you, Nathan. Yeah, the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. The meek will inherit the earth. The meek will inherit the land. The, the, the word that is translated as earth in the New Testament can equally be translated as land. But to the Jew, when it talks about the, the land, what land is it? It's not you know, any bit of it. It's the promised land. It's the land that God had given them. Now, for us, New Testament Christians, what is our promised land? It's heaven. It's looking forward to the future. And that's what is being promised. The meek will inherit the earth, the, the land, the promised land, the new heaven, the new earth, in Revelation terms. And you could see many references uh, for the next one. Uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Um, they will be filled. Well, there's endless verses we could turn to there to look for uh, references to, to, to a desire and a longing and a fulfillment of righteousness. Uh, interesting, if you look back in Matthew chapter 4, uh, back, uh, back to... Uh, a bit in the NIV where it says, Jesus begins to preach, verse 12. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. We read this at Christmas time, and we often wonder, what's all this about Zebulun and Naphtali and so on? Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Uh, this is a bit we often quote. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. 
And that's talking about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's been quoted in Matthew because that's what was happening. Jesus had come. The king had come. You go on in, Matthew, uh, in, in Isaiah 9 where that's quoted from. And it talks about this. Uh, verse 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. You see, bound up in this promise of the Messiah who was going to come, who was going to bring good news, who was going to make it possible, who would offer himself as a sacrifice, he is being proclaimed as king, and a king who would bring justice and righteousness, something that is sadly lacking in our country, in many countries around the world, in fact, every country around the world, you'd be hard pushed to find one where justice and righteousness are absolute and complete. And that was the case in the days of Jesus in the land of, uh, of Judah and Israel. Uh, because God's promises had not yet been fulfilled. And so we talk about people hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Now, I want to go back to uh, verse 3, which, as I say, is the key that unlocks uh, uh, some of this and sets the scene for the rest of the sermon. Um, but I want you also to notice some of the things in these uh, four sayings we're looking at. Notice verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. There's a promise there, isn't there? They will be comforted. Or verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. A promise uh, that, that's going to happen. Or verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And you think, great, glorious, wonderful. It's going to happen. Look at verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Not will be. It's something now. It's not let's wait in for the future. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? When we talk about poverty, uh, I think many Western Christians get a little bit sort of nervous because we know that actually in uh, financial and material terms, most of us are not poor. Even those at the bottom end of the salary scales and uh, those on benefits and so on, in comparison to many people around the world, we're, we're, we're rich. We live in comfortable homes. We have roofs over our heads. We have heat and light, electricity, mobile phones. There's all sorts of things that, that, that we have. We're, in th those terms, we're not poor. And so we get a little bit nervous when you know, we start reading things in the Bible about uh, the poor and how we should re relate to them and so on. Um, and we breathe a sigh of relief in Matthew 5, verse 3, because it's not blessed are the poor, it's blessed are the poor in spirit. And that sort of gives us a bit of a get-out clause, doesn't it? We, we don't have to worry too much about our financial bank balance and whether we've got too much of it or what we do with it. Um, if that's the way you're thinking, then, then do have a look in Luke chapter 6 because um, Jesus said very similar things on another occasion that's recorded there. 
and he leaves off the in spirit bit there. But I'll leave you to, uh, to ponder that one. But what we're talking about here is, is poverty of spirit, uh, uh, poverty in spirit. That doesn't mean lacking the Holy Spirit in some ways, a bit poor, we haven't got enough of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but it's talking about attitudes and it's talking uh, about the, the more of the spiritual background to it. And again, you can trace this back into the Old Testament that, that people cut off from God were poor. And yet, all the way through, even talking about possessions and so on, we find all sorts of reversals in the Bible. You know, we've got them in these verses. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs will be the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. You know, you get, get one thing which could be thought of as being a problem, and then you've got, God is going to change that and turn it around. Um, you could look in... Uh, at one of the other Latin named things, the Magnificat. You get the same thing there. This is uh, a song that Mary sang when, uh, uh, as she was expecting Jesus Christ. Um, it talks about uh, the way that God uh, is, is blessing his, her and uh, his people. I'm just going to pick out a few bits of... Um, Verse 51 of Luke chapter 2. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost, uh, inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. And those, that sort of reversal comes out again and again throughout the scriptures. But here we have... Blessed are the poor in spirit. What's, what does that actually mean? What does it imply? Well, it's talking about our attitudes and our thoughts. And ponder a question. If you were to come very obviously into the presence of God, you know, if you met Jesus face to face, revealed in all his glory, what would you think about yourself at that point? the disciples who knew him fairly well. Um, John, when that happened to him on the Isle of Patmos, he fell down before Jesus as though he was dead. Jesus had to say to him, don't be afraid. Peter, when he'd seen something of the power and, and might of Jesus Christ, said, depart from me, I am a sinful man. Isaiah, when God appeared to him to call him to his ministry in the Old Testament, woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips. To come into the presence of God reveals to us just what we are and what we are like. And when people have come close to God, when God has dealt with them, when God is speaking to them, that is something that is that is part and parcel of what happens. It's that humbling which we need. To be poor in spirit is to realize that we are nothing in the presence of God. Nothing that we can produce, nothing we can give him. We are just completely empty of anything good, of anything worthy, of anything of great value. 
We're not godly people. We're not uh, wonderfully uh, endowed with greatness and, and so on. We are, we are nothing. To come before God and really understand what we are is a humbling experience, and that's what it is to be poor in spirit. It's a complete absence of pride or self-assurance or self-reliance. As Christians, we have such blessing that flows from this. But we, as Nathan was saying this morning, there's nothing to be smug about here. It's all down to the grace and the mercy of God. What he has given to us. The, the, the freedom that he bestows upon us. But we come to him as completely empty vessels. And that's right, because if we come full of all our good, you know, good ideas and wonderful um, you know, uh, situations that, that we think are great, how can you fill something unless it's already empty? People so often rely, well, I'm going to put this in the negative, as Christians we, we do not rely on, say, our family history, our family origins, our nationality, our race, or our, our, our gender. Um, it, we may have varying temperaments, but one is not better than another. Uh, our, our abilities do not save us, our education uh, is an irrelevance in this. Our position in life or what sort of personality we have. There are some people who are, who are wonderfully optimistic, uh, outgoing extroverts and then there are others who are frail and fragile and wouldn't say boo to a goose. But, and some people think that the great um, you know, extroverts and the great personalities, that they have something special. But that's nothing in the sight of God. We may put them on a pedestal sometimes, but they don't belong there. Whether we have personality or charisma, whether it's manufactured or otherwise, it is an irrelevance. To come to God, we need to understand our poverty of spirit. Now, people avoid that. They don't like thinking about that. They, they want to cling on to the things of this world that make them see, seem great. But we're talking about a poverty here. What is a poverty like? Poverty is something uh, that takes away any power that we have. Poverty is people knowing their need. I'm very conscious in our country we have great extremes of wealth. I've said just now that often those who think that they're a poor end are actually rich compared with other, other parts of the world. But even in our own country, there are some who are living on minimum wage or on benefits or something like that. And yet there are others, the other side of town perhaps, who li live in mansions or semi-mansions with, you know, six or seven figure salaries or whatever huge disparate change in differences in uh, in wealth that some of those at the bottom end don't consider themselves poor because they're not really but I, I've seen folk who have huge salaries and then they lost their job and they're having to take something much less paid and they struggle because They've never experienced it before. 
but to be poor, truly poor, and to understand it is crushing and humiliating. They're powerless and they're empty. And to be poor in spirit, to carry those characteristics through into, the, uh, in, into our very standing before God. And it says that blessed are people who feel that way. Blessed are those who know their poverty of spirit. And why? What's the promise given? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now you stop and think about it. How does someone become a Christian? I'm tempted to try and do the memory verse, but I learned it in a different version. I'll only confuse you, but it's by grace we've been saved through faith. And this is a gift of God. So that we don't need to boast about it. It's what God has done for us. Jesus Christ came into this world and he, he came to suffer and to die so that we could be forgiven and set free. But what's the mechanism that is used for us to become a Christian? By God's grace, it's through faith. But also part of that, if we talk about faith, we also talk about repentance. And to come truly to repentance, we need to know that we are sinners we need to understand that. We come under conviction of sin. And that's a great thing because it's putting us on the right track. You know, beware because the devil can accuse us of sin. He's called the accuser of the brethren. Uh, but when the devil comes to accuse us, it's to drive us down. It's to ridicule us and say, oh, call yourself a Christian. You've done that and you've done that. And he, the devil seeks to undermine us and to discourage us. When the Holy Spirit convicts of sin, it's to show us the glory and the majesty and the mighty righteousness and holiness of God and the way through that to find peace with God through Jesus Christ. Sometimes it's said that, oh, I, I remember reading a book. It was only a paperback one. It was a, a commentary on the book of Romans and it split it down into different courses on a menu. And uh, so the, the first course was you know, what they call the hors d'oeuvre, the starters. Um, and it apparently, I've, I've never had an oyster. I'm going to flag this up. You may love them, but clearly the writer didn't think they were anything special. In fact, they, they were a bit sort of salty and bleh, slimy and, and horrible. Uh, and in his mind, you know, it, it may have done wonders to your palate. I take this on advice, I don't know. Um, but you know, it wasn't the most pleasant experience he had. And he said, part of the good news is actually very bad news. It's telling you what you don't want to hear, that you are a sinner, that you've fallen short of the glory of God, that wages of sin is death. Free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. That's, in a sense, that is good news, but it's, it seems bad news. Leaves a bit of bad taste in the mouth, telling us the truth about ourselves. You go to John's first le uh, letter and in chapter one, it says, if anyone says they, they have no sin, they, they deceive themselves and the truth is not in them. If you think that you're perfect, you're deceiving yourself and the truth is not in you. And in fact, what you're doing is making God out to be a liar, which he isn't. But isn't it good to know that? Because then that leads on leaving you helpless and not feeling self-confident and I can cope with this sort of thing, but crying out to God to find peace, to find 
forgiveness, to find salvation. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Come to God. Let him humble you. And I say this to you who are Christians. It's so easy to start well and then to become self-satisfied, to be spiritually smug. I, I like that expression, Nathan. Thank you for sharing it this morning. It's, it's so easy to think that we started, so we'll finish it off. Someone to think of themselves as being, what a wonderful asset I am to the church, to the, to the kingdom of heaven. It is Jesus who works through you. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's the most wonderful reversal of all, knowing how deep is your problem and then being lifted up to heaven. And that's now. We are not actually physically in the place called heaven. That will come when we inherit the earth inherit the land which is a promise for the future but what we have now our status as Christians is that we are the children of God yes we are his servants but he has bestowed upon us an inheritance he, is, uh, he has uh, adopted us as his children so we will inherit the land the earth What about the mourning bit? Are you satisfied with your life? Are you satisfied with your faithfulness as a Christian? Are you satisfied that you uh, fight well against sin and seek to live a godly and righteous life? I'm guessing you probably feel that you fail. I hope you do, because we all do. We all should do. Does that grieve you? Are you mourning over it? Do you look at the church around you and think we're not perfect does that grieve you do, do you mourn over that do you want something better you will be comforted there will come a time when everything is made new for the people of god we enter into the glorious fulfillment of the kingdom and uh, uh, and we are given new bodies so we don't even have aching joints and things like that we can see properly and, and, and everything's wonderful again. And God richly blesses us. And we get some of that comfort even now because we get the encouragements of, of victories won. And we get the encouragements of uh, even of just knowing that things will one day be wonderful. So it's worth hanging on. There's a comfort there now, but the full comfort will come when Jesus comes again. And of course, Knowing how poor we are in spirit takes away our pride, and so we are, are meek. And that's one that the world doesn't understand. Oh, they like, you know, say, oh, what a meek person, what, what a humble person. But actually, a lot of people think, oh, it's not so much meek and humble, uh, but weak and abusable. It's, and I use that term carefully because it comes to mean so, certain things which I'm not necessarily applying but, but people do have this sort of nice satisfaction that, well, that there's someone who's, who's weak um, they're not going to stand in my way of getting what I want and the world will look on and say 
Are these supposed to be great qualities, being meek, of being humble? Well, that is the way of Jesus. Um, you know, he left his home in glory to come into this world. You know, the hymn we sometimes sing often round, round about Christmas time, Lord, you were rich beyond all splendor, yet for love's sake became poor. Thrones for a manger did surrender. Sapphire paved courts for stable floor. You know, Philippians chapter 2, and the, the great hymn of Christ of how he left his home in glory to come into this world to suffer and to die. Uh, for us there's meekness there is humility and such people are those who will inherit the, the promised land the earth and uh, another part of this hunger uh, of being poor in spirit is the, the way in which we hunger and thirst for righteousness i've touched on this already we're talking about mourning but do you long to see justice and righteousness? Not just in your own life, but in the, in the life around us, in the land in which we live. Uh, does it grieve you when you look around and see such godlessness? So often we just want to close our minds to it, to hive ourselves off into our own little ghetto and where everything's safe. But, you know, we are to be salt and light in this world. And getting out there means that we'll be rubbing up shoulders against people who dislike what we do. We'll touch on this more next week when we come to uh, the, the last of the Beatitudes. But that, that, uh, in coming to God, we will find that our awareness of these things changes. Our priorities will change. Uh, we'll mourn over... Uh, over the state of our lives, the need of God's people, the godlessness of the world. Uh, we'll become meek, knowing our true status, being God's servant and being adopted as his child. That's a humbling thing, isn't it? That God, God Almighty, should love us so much that he adopts us into his family and gives us wonderful blessings to come. Why? We don't deserve it, but God loves us and so it's going to happen. We will hunger and thirst for righteousness. And the closer we come to Jesus and the more time we spend with him, the more we spend time reading his word, praying to him, seeking fellowship with God's people, the more that hunger and that thirst will, uh, uh, will develop. So think about being hungry and thirsty. Is that it's something we want to sa have satisfied? not just something we think about occasionally. If you've ever been uh, thirsty, you've been walking somewhere on a long, hot summer's day and you left your water bottle at home, uh, and don't you just long for a nice, cool drink? Is that how you feel about the state of your life? You want to get rid of sin and, and to enjoy righteousness and goodness. So how can I foster that attitude? Spend time with, with, with one who is like that, Jesus. Talk to one another about these things. Read his word and feed on it. Take the decision and try and stick to it. And when you break it, go back to it and make the decision again that you're not going to give space in your life for things that are ungodly. We will always be different to the world. 
We will always be out of step with the world, and more of that next week. But we are blessed, and in fullness, we will be absolutely, thoroughly, wonderfully, overwhelmingly blessed with these promises that he has made for us. We're part of the kingdom of heaven already. We will be comforted, and we may know that part of that comfort now. We will inherit the promised land. We will be, our, our hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. Maybe partly now, but in the future, in that wonderful future lying ahead of us, absolutely gloriously so. It's interesting, isn't it, how churches have changed over the years. Uh, that some of the things I've spoken about this evening uh, are, are not common subjects to be talked about. Conviction of sin? Being made to feel unworthy? Some churches want to make people feel good. That's no, God's church to make people feel good. And it's by his grace that that, that comes. But I remember as a young Christian going up to university and going to the uh, University Christian Union. And I'd come from a church which was a very happy church. Uh, it was a good church. Uh, but everything was very joyful and so on. And I, I met a, a, a couple of folk from the, the Christian Union who had been to um, hear a, a very famous preacher preach the f previous day. And she, uh, one of them said, Oh, it was absolutely wonderful. It made us feel so small. And I thought, well, we probably wouldn't say that these days. And yet, such blessing flowed out of that meeting where people came away feeling humbled because they sought God. And it transformed their lives and continues to do so today from what I hear. Wonderful the things that God can do. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, we thank you that you are a God who knows us much better than we know ourselves. Lord, we read your word and so often we select the bits that we, uh, we want to think about and uh, seek sorts of encouragement. And yet, Lord, when you deal with us, when you speak to us, when you take those passages which we don't find so comfortable and actually open our eyes to see how awesome some of these truths are and what it means for us. We are truly humbled before you and made to feel uncomfortable and, and sad and grieved. Yet, Lord, we thank you that you do this for us. For in doing so, we're no longer blind. We can see. We're no longer deluding ourselves, but we're becoming rooted in truth. And we're no longer just clinging on to the trivial things of this world, the toys of this age, the, the, the things which will pass in fire. But rather we are coming to you, the eternal God, Lord, Master, Saviour of, uh, 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 of your, your people, your church. And Lord, we know that in the day when Christ comes again, that everything will be made new. And that those of us who know you and love you will be taken up to be with you forever. And there'll be no more sin, no more sorrow, no more sighing, no more pain, no more illness, no more death. 
and everything will be glorious. And we will be with you. We will see, see you face to face. And the last tears of sorrow you will wipe away to be consumed with all joy and majesty as your dominion rules over us, uh, us all. So help us, Lord, to know you better and to love you more and to follow you faithfully that we might know the blessedness of your wonderful, gracious gospel in our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.